Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. It was permutative it was evolving expressive and controversial and weird obviously we've talked about <laughs> what that. was hold on and these stop, people just, yeah. what was the what was the first word she said the perm performative perm perform i said you said permutative okay. or something we said some why did you why did you let me go well, on i was like this guy's on a roll okay all right <laughs> And I've got to call you butter because you're on a roll. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> you a biscuit. All right. Let's do that one again. You're right. It is performative, the, the word that I wrote there, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Elliot. And Todd. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. Today we continue talking about the formation of the pop art scene. And the introduction of its greatest superstar. He made the lowbrow highbrow. And along the way agitated a lot of people. So let's raise our glasses to the master manipulator himself back here in the bar. We are back in the bar. Elliot. Yes. Pop culture multiple choice question time for you. You ready for this? Oh, boy. I didn't know there was going to be bar trivia. Oh, you're good at this. Yeah, you should love this. Okay, hit me. Okay. What do you think was the number one song on June 3rd, 1968? I'll give you the choices. Hmm. Hey Jude by The Beatles. Okay. Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. Okay. Hmm. Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. Ooh, boy. That's a great question. Um, hmm. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Mrs. Robinson, I think. Okay, you say Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah, that's my guess. All right, you're right. You know, I thought you would have picked, like, the Beatles or something like that, but no... Mrs. Robinson by the Simon and by the Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> by Simon no and Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. What do you think are the top movies at the box office on June third, nineteen sixty-eight? Here are your choices: The Graduate, uh huh, Funny Girl with Babs Streisand, okay, or 
Planet of the Apes. And don't be influenced because you know Planet of the Apes is one of my all-time favorite movies. It is. It is. It's only bested by airplane. Oh, man. Imagine if they filmed Planet of the Apes like a sequel on an airplane. Oh, my God. That would be so good. That would be number one easily. That would be so good. Who do we need to talk to to get that movie made? Apes on a plane. Who do we need yeah, to talk apes, to to get that movie? Oh, I mean, I think, uh, I think that's... Isn't that why you write a senator or something like that? That's been our secret agenda all along is to get enough podcast listeners that we yeah. can start the Apes on a Plane movement. Dude, totally got it. Okay, but that is not uh, germane to the question at hand. Oh, yes. boy. Um, all right, it's tough. It's tough. I'm going to say The Graduate. And you would be right. Two for okay. two, man. You got this. You're nailing this like cray. Yes. All right? Okay. I got one more uh, multiple choice question for you. What do you think was the most watched TV show on June 3rd, 1968? Here are your choices. A, Bonanza. B, Peyton Place. C, The Monkees. Okay. So I need a little bit of clarification on this one. Okay. All right. You mean the like on that date, like the episode? That okay. Let's say that week because at that time shows were appearing, you know, once a week. <laughs> right. But you mean like the week of June third? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the Wh- week which, of June. Which 3rd. episode from each of these shows had the most viewers? Okay. Right. Right. Who? I'm gonna say the monkeys. Oh, sorry, man. You couldn't make it three for three. It was still really? bonanza. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had not gotten to the rural purge. <laughs> That's true. Yet. I thought we were in the rural decline, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. So, June 3rd, 1968, what else was happening? Okay. So, check this out. Robert Kennedy was doing some last minute campaigning to secure the California and South Dakota presidential primary elections held the next day. P.S. That didn't go very well for him. <laughs> Spoiler alert. James Earl Ray is on his way from Canada to London's Heathrow Airport, where he will try to board a plane for Brussels, but will ultimately be arrested for the assassination of Martin Luther King. Also on that day, June 3rd, 1968, our friend Allen Ginsberg is celebrating his 42nd birthday. Yeah, beat icon, yes. Yes, right. We've talked about him. Boots Randolph celebrates his 41st birthday. Speaking of mashups like apes on a plane, imagine if Ginsburg and Boots Randolph were together. I mean, he's talking how, you know, Ginsburg's on stage and then <laughs> Boots Randolph was playing yakety sax. <laughs> what an accompaniment that would have been. That would be. That would be. And uh, young Anderson Cooper enjoys his first birthday. Uh, I'm sorry, Anderson, who? Yeah, okay. Well, moving on. In New York City, it was overcast and cloudy, making the temperature drop 10 degrees to 64 degrees Fahrenheit from 3 to 5. And that was exactly the time Andy Warhol was pronounced dead. Whoa. Okay. Do a little backup here. So, you know Andy Warhol from our previous episodes Sort of the king of the factory. The factory was an ultra salon, right? Uh, wait, 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 wait. You said, what did you just say? I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Because Warhol, I, I checked my paperwork 
Todd, I've done my research, and I happen to know on good authority from the powers that be that... Uh, Wikipedia. Okay, Wikipedia. So Wikipedia told yep. me that Warhol died in 1987. That's true. Um, that, was, that was the second time he died. On June 3rd, 1968, Warhol was shot at the factory by troubled, subversive feminist writer Valerie Solanas and was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. He was dead for two minutes and emergency workers at Columbus Mother Cabrini Hospital massaged his heart to revive him. The assassination attempt will change Andy for the rest of his life and effectively put an end to the factory scene as we know it. So today's show is about June 3rd, 1968, the day that killed the factory scene. Oof. Yeah, there was a movie made about this, but I haven't seen it. I'll admit that. Um, my pop culture bona fides are being thrown into question or jeopardy, I guess. So I have all <laughs> sorts of questions here. How do we get to the point that someone would want to kill Andy Warhol? I mean... Previously, you painted this picture of the factory as being this open, creative sort of nirvana, right? This sort of haven with all these people yeah, running around. Yeah. So how did things go dark? So, yeah, good point. That's true. And reminding our listeners from earlier episodes that the factory was like an ultra salon on an acid trip. Anyone famous was brought to the factory and Andy was working night and day and surrounded himself with his quote, superstars, uh, unquote, uh, people on the fringe, traditionally undesirables and forgotten to society, but endlessly entertaining to Andy. They had a home at the factory and were coming and going night and day. So at this point, the silver factory was located at 231 East 47th Street. Itself became a quasi artwork, you know, with the, the sort of way it was operating. It was performative, it was evolving, expressive, controversial, and above all, weird. These people were destructive to themselves and to each other, and Andy let it happen. This has given rise to the frequent, though not unanimous, growl from the Silver Factory participants that Warhol had a disturbing lack of interest towards the well-being of his collaborators. I loved how you used the word growl there. Growl, grumble, yeah. grudge, lots of good G <laughs> words, man. We could, how far could we take this? Too bad factory doesn't begin with a G. True, true. Good golly does, though, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> he used these people because he needed their personalities to spark ideas, to fuel his creative ambitions, and, you know, We've already established he was a voyeur. He was constantly looking for something to hit him. Uh, and Andy was known in the early years to be super sensitive, and he was shy. He was a little faint. He was anxiety-ridden as the factory progressed and took on the personality. Uh, it kind of drained his away. Huh, okay. So I thought he was just super shy based on what I've read and kind of what I've seen you know, he was always sort of withdrawn socially. So mm -hmm, if mm -hmm, the factory mm -hmm. is sort of his new personality, if he's becoming of that scene or of that space, was his detachment just an act? Well, yeah, he developed his non-emotional robot-like existence in public. And it was used to cover his hypersensitivity. You know, artists 
of the time had big personalities. The ever-competitive and self-aware Warhol couldn't compete with that. So he went the other extreme and acted like he didn't just didn't give a shit. So, <laughs> okay. You know, he alienated his friends and some at the factory. And it also made Andy way more attractive to others. Okay, what do you mean attractive? Like in a traditional sense or... Well, in, okay, in the documentary, The Life of Andy Warhol, Candy Darling says... Uh, what a great name. Right. right <laughs> who st- in this documentary starts calling herself Candy Warhol. Oh, that's brilliant. I know, see? Says, and this is a quote, Everything Andy does is fantastic because Andy is a saint. He really loves people. So anything he does is beautiful because he sees the best in everybody. He sees God wherever he looks and whoever he looks at. It's done with a touch of divinity. And to that, Andy replies, Fudge. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like he's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Or chocolate pebbles, right? (laughs) Chocolate pebbles. It's like fruity pebbles. But chocolatey. Okay. Uh, Speaking of chocolatey, um, you just jogged my memory. How about a chocolate martini the next time you head over to the bar? What do you think? Wait, 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 wait. What just happened here? What just happened? You know what? Don't even worry about it. Just give me your wallet and I'll do it myself. Uh, We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, we want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase, two designers walk into a bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And, if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff, and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website, or send an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. We read every message we get. Honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay, now, back to the bar.
Welcome back to the bar. So we were talking about uh, Andy Warhol and kind of his slight disinterest in uh, some of his collaborators. And I think what you're hearing was his sudden and intense fame uh, was kind of Andy developed this anti-personality, like an extreme anti-personality. So he was attracted and captivated by extreme people. And Andy was also attracted to self-destructive people. If you were extremely one thing or the other. Sure. Like an addict. Yeah. Yeah. Like addicts. <laughs> you were in. So factory manager and silver devotee, Billy Name, had a really good explanation of this time in pop art. And he says, quote, a master artist sees design and exquisite manufacturing process in ordinary packages of cigarettes. If you really look at it, it's a master crafted art piece. Ha <laughs> ha! Shout out to the graphic designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to say, in the 1960s, the whole world became exposed like that. Everything became art. Walking down the street and all of a sudden the fire hydrant was so beautiful. And you see its connection to your life. I'll freely admit I do have a fascination with fire hydrants. Yeah, uh, okay. And then all the LSD started coming around. Everybody got into the hallucinogen thing. And you could see the fire hydrant was alive, and it never goes away once you get it. <laughs> These were fragile people hanging around Andy Warhol. <laughs> I'm sure throwing in the drugs didn't help much. That's right. And sit back and watch and wait for ideas to hit. So, yeah, Andy used these people. And what's funny is there was no middle class at the factory. The people surrounding Warhol were either disenfranchised trust fund kids from high society or disenfranchised working class street dwellers. For instance, uh, Benedetta uh, Barzini. She was an actress. She was a model, uh, a hanger around Andy Warhol. She said, and I quote, Many of the people around Andy were the sons and daughters of the wealthy bourgeoisie collectors of his work. These abandoned people. Edie Sedgwick is a good example, but there were others. And someone that uh, we've talked about, Mary Waranov, said, and I quote, One day a drug dealer came up. He shot up this girl. And, sorry, that's not funny. And she, for some reason, passed out. It was in a bathtub. She went underwater. We thought she was dead. We panicked because she was not waking up. Finally, someone said, we should send her down the mail chute. We wrote little notes on her body and put stamps on her forehead. Then we realized she wasn't dead. I don't think she would have fit in the mail chute, but we would have tried. Oh boy, looks like there was a room full of future EMTs there. Yeah, yeah, not funny, not funny, but it just kind of shows you, you know, they just are... Yeah, the perverse logic of the place, if you can call yeah, it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uncovered this weird clip of a TV crew just hanging around the factory, capturing everything and nothing. And Andy was big into making films at the time. At one point, a guy is casually chatting with Andy, and he asks, how long do you think this will last? And Andy replies, uh, I guess as long as we don't run out of people. Well, that's kind of telling, you know, if you think about it. Right. So 
Do we have this clip? Can we put this on our episode page? We can put this clip on our episode oh, page. Yeah, perfect. we'll give credit to that. But yeah, I mean, it was like somebody was doing Andy Warhol of Andy Warhol. But so the factory at the time, it had been called this medieval court of lunatics. And Andy desperately needed these characters around him for his ideas, for his props, for his social awkwardness. And he treated them like you know, commodities, like like actual products hmm i think i'm starting to see a pattern here you yeah you are you are so he left the fifth floor loft at 231 east 47th street in 1967 when the building was scheduled to be torn down the location is now the entrance to the parking garage of one dag hammerschgold plaza <laughs> Did that sound convincing? That's great. <laughs> Is that where the band Dag Nasty rehearses at Dag Hammerskold? The Dag Hammerskold Plaza Ballroom? The Dag Hammerskold Plaza. <laughs> Dag Nasty. Playing nightly, Dag Nasty. That's the house band. Probably. He relocated his studio to the sixth floor of the Decker Building, which was at 33 Union Square West, near the corner of East 16th and as near Max's Kansas City, a club where Warhol and his entourage frequently visited. And he was the most famous contemporary artist in the world and one of the most famous faces in America. And while he was developing this big reputation as a creative, the participants of the scene he built at the factory were thinking of him differently and started referring to Andy as, you'll love this, Drella. <laughs> Okay, Todd, you're already getting deep into this stuff, so I've got to ask, Drella, what is this? Yes, Drella. So, coined by Warhol superstar and verbal uh, pyrotechnician Ondine, <laughs> um, and, yeah, his own words, he said it was a contraction of Dracula and Cinderella. It was used <laughs> by the superstars. But not loved by Andy himself. Kind of self-explanatory, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was part princess, part bloodsucker. So there you go. <laughs> ah, so this, see, this starts to make sense now. That's where the title of uh, Lou Reed and John Cale's album, Songs for Drella, comes from. But uh, It does, yeah. It does. I'm still stuck on Ondine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Verbal pyrotechnician. That's amazing. It yeah, he sounds like quite a character. And, you know, speaking of bloodsuckers, Elliot, why don't you get us some more drinks on my tab, of course. Ah, sure thing, princess. Uh, I know how much you love a creative scene <laughs> and spilling a little tea. Something tells me that uh, part two about the dark side of the factory, much like the, uh, the rum I'm about to charge to your tab, is going to get mm. darker. Mm-hmm. Mm uh, yeah, just get the fucking drinks, Elliot, okay? <laughs> we'll see everyone again next time in the bar. <laughs> Todd's treat. Oh!
Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the paper fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.